listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is the last part of the series called Multiply. Today's message, given on December 3rd, 2017, is titled, Let's Do This. We've been learning how to make disciples who in turn make other disciples. And a simple definition of a disciple is a follower, right, of Jesus. But we've been studying that, you know, that process of somebody becoming a disciple really is not complete until they have in turn raised up another disciple. And we said that disciples mature while making other disciples. You know, uh, the example being as a parent, you know, being a parent, wonderful thing, but it really stretched Anne and myself. And we came into situations that we had no idea how we would do, and we got through it, and I'd say our kids turned out okay, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so, you know. And, uh, but, you know, first of all, it's by the grace of God only. But, but secondly, uh, we learn things, and it's the same thing with followers of Christ. You know, if you're just following Jesus, that's awesome, but it's, there comes a time where you need to kind of bring somebody along as well and teach them the ways of God, teach them the ways of Jesus. And the beauty of this whole thing was, was we said, we don't have to do it on our own because we've been studying that passage at the end of Matthew where Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth is mine. And then he tells us to go and make disciples. He tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he makes a promise at the end. He says, and lo, I am with you some of the time. Always until the end of the age. And so this is not just a, you know, where Jesus is drop kicking us and say, hey, do your best. No, he's, he has the authority. He is taking us and he's saying, I'm sending you to do this. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you every single moment. And I will get you through this. So the message this morning is called, let's do this. Okay, because it's time to do it. Um, You know, and last week we talked about the importance of sharing not just the gospel, because the gospel is key. Without the gospel, somebody cannot come to saving faith in Christ. But we also talked about the importance of sharing our lives as well with another person. And we said that the gospel shapes us to share ourselves. And that is so important. And we introduced a tool that can help us in this. Because I found this tool to be, I think it's probably one of the best tools that I've seen. It doesn't cost anything. And it's a website put together by Francis Chan. Some of you may have heard of him and David Platt. Maybe you haven't heard of David. But it's called multiplymovement.com. And that is in your bulletin. If you weren't here last week, it's down at the bottom of your note page. And what I did, if you were here last week, was I asked you to read and to watch the first session of it. And then to consider if there was anyone who you know who you might be able to disciple. And, you know, as believers, we are called to make disciples knowing that we are being sent by Jesus who has all authority and that he is with us always. Well, I got to be honest here. Helping people follow Jesus is one of the most rewarding things we can do. But it is also tough. And it will cost us something. 
And like many worse, worthwhile things, oftentimes a sacrifice is needed in order for us to do that. You know what I'm talking about. There are things, you know, many of you were in careers where you had to spend a long time preparing for the career through schooling and uh, certifications and internships and whatever else you did. And a sacrifice was required in order for you to prepare for that career. And it's worthwhile, but it wasn't just like it was dropped on you. You know, you had to work through it. Raising kids, a sacrifice is required to do that. Okay, almost everything worthwhile in life requires a sacrifice. And of course, the most worthwhile thing in life is us becoming Christians, and that required a sacrifice too. The good news is it was Jesus' sacrifice that starts us on the Christian life, and we don't have to do anything other than to trust, to repent, and believe, because Jesus did it all. But then once we are believers, he does leave stuff for us to do so that other people can find out about Jesus and can have the joy that we have ourselves. And quite frankly, if I were to tell you, oh, it's easy, it's always going to be great, no, I I would be a liar because it takes work and it requires sacrifices. So we kind of have to settle the thing in our minds. Are we willing to make a sacrifice? Are we willing to maybe get in an uncomfortable situation where we have to say something and we're like, oh, I don't know if I can say something right now. You know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes you get that way or, um, well, you know, my schedule, I, I have, you know, maybe three minutes next Thursday and I don't have anything else. Well, maybe it requires a sacrifice of our schedule a little bit. We might need to take something and even a good thing and put it on the side so that we have time to pour into the life of another person. Or maybe it will cost us something. You know, perhaps there's someone that has a physical need. Well, you know what? Sometimes when we meet somebody else's physical need uh, through a meal or, uh, you know, maybe helping them with some finances, you know, that costs us something. But sometimes that is exactly what opens the door to them being open to hearing why we're even doing this in the first place, right? Yes, it is. So, so a sacrifice is often necessary in order for this. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to quote out of a version that you don't have in the beginning because this is, I, I memorized these verses back when I was in college and I learned it in the New International Version. And so uh, just as a aside, if you ever try to memorize scripture, never try to rememorize it again in a different translation. It just crosses all the wires up in the brain and it doesn't work. But we're going to read two verses in the beginning of Romans 12 and then we're going to go down a little further and unpack it. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the NIV says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Those are powerful verses right there. And right up front, it talks about a sacrifice being needed. In fact, it says a living sacrifice. Okay, now you'll remember the, this was spoken uh, to a primarily Jewish culture. 
okay? Um, Although this is the letter to the church in Rome that Paul wrote, but a big part of Judaism was sacrifices. And of course, that was moving forward and pointing forward to when Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. So back in, in, in Judaism, people would bring animals and they would sacrifice the animal at the temple. And that was to essentially to atone or to cover over sins. In fact, it does say in scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. But of course, the blood of, of goats and bulls cannot fully forgive someone. Only the sacrifice of the perfect lamb of God, Messiah, Jesus Christ, could do that. Okay, so this was prefiguring what was happening. And then when Paul says, I offer you to offer, I, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, what does that mean? Well, when an animal is sacrificed, that's the end of the animal. But a living sacrifice is someone who continues to live. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's saying, you know, you don't have to sacrifice your life because Jesus sacrificed his life, and that is full and sufficient payment. But you need to sacrifice your agenda. You need to sacrifice your checkbook. You need to sacrifice your, um, you, what, the things you look at. You need to sacrifice the things you think about, okay? And you still stay alive. You know, you're not like, you know, oh, that's the end of things. And why is that? Well, he says that because that is your reasonable or your spiritual act of worship. So, I don't know if you thought about that. I mean, you know, when we get together, we sing songs, and that's awesome. I love that. I look forward to that. Um, when, whenever I give, I, that's an act of worship, and I love that. That's great. When um, we pray together, we're worshiping. I hope we're even worshiping God now as I'm teaching the Word, okay? But it's more than that. When I sacrifice my will for the will of God, that is worship as well, too. And so I don't know if you realize that. You know, somebody once had, there was a, um, I think this was Billy Graham's mother who had a sign in her kitchen. It said, spiritual worship done here three times a day. Because she was preparing three meals for her family, and she was doing that as, she was sacrificing to do that, and that was, she was doing that as an act of worship. And so worship as together, what we're doing now is so important. But you know, the things that you do during the week also can be done in the right attitude as an act of worship. Not to supplement this, don't get the idea, oh, well, I'm worshiping in my kitchen, so I don't have to go to church. I did not say that, okay? <laughs> but it's, it, it, it is all together. And so that is so key. Now, I did ask you last week, to look over session one of the Multiply Movement. I'm not going to ask who did it, but I, I hope you all did it. And if you didn't do it, you can do it <clears throat> this week. But one of the things in there, there were a bunch of questions. In this particular session, there were seven questions. And I want to highlight three of them that stood out to me. So I will repeat the question in case if you did not get a chance to do it. If you did do it last week, get out your notes because you have it. And um, the, the, one of the questions that they talked about was question five. It says, if you, chose, if you choose to obey Jesus' call to follow, what might it cost you? Because following Jesus 
for us, you know, I mean, we don't, thank God, we don't live in a country where we could lose our lives if we follow Jesus. There are believers in parts of the world where if you identify with following Jesus, their law allows them to come and take your life. And it's very costly and dangerous to follow Jesus. But Jesus, didn't he also say, you know, we are to take up our cross daily and follow him? And what is the cross? I mean, some of you wear a cross around the neck, and that's nice. But when they say, take up your cross, the cross was a means of execution in the Roman Empire at that time. And so it's basically saying, like, okay, take up your guillotine, take up your electric chair, take up your lethal injection, and follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, it could cost you your life. And Paul says it should cost you something. We should be living sacrifices. So what does this mean? What might it cost you? And, you know, so this Romans 12, 1, that speaks to it. I believe it causes us to, it, it should or it could or probably should cost us certain things that perhaps are getting in the way of us taking time to disciple someone else. You'll remember we talked about the hindrances in the Dawson Trotman book, okay? One of them was not being united to Christ. Another one was immaturity. Another one is persistent sin. Another one was busyness. So perhaps maybe some of those things, it's time to say, Lord, I'm going to take that and I am going to sacrifice it on the altar. I'm going to put it aside so that I can be more effective in helping someone follow you. And I hope if that's you, if, you're, if God is putting something on your heart in one of those areas, please be willing to put that aside. Okay, now Romans 12 starts with a word that is a pivot point. The first word in Romans 12 in the version I memorize is therefore. And you've heard me say this before. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to know what it's there for. Okay, now Romans 1 through 11 is one of the most comprehensive expositions of the gospel in all of scripture, okay? Because Paul is arguing, you know, he was a scholar. He studied under the best of the best rabbis and he is now trying to change the mind of everyone. But I think, you know, I bet he's actually trying to write some of this in to try to change the mind of his teachers too, Okay, and so he is arguing and he is presenting the gospel. And I mean, there's just great verses in there. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, Uh, Romans, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, and there's just ton. If you believe with your heart and confess your lips, then you will be saved. You know, there's so much in Romans, all about that. Some people have used the word the Romans road. You remember that? It's kind of a a bunch of Bible verses that string together that kind of encapsulate the gospel. And so we've had, if we were to read straight through Romans, which we're not going to do today, we don't have time for, from 1 to 11, you would be getting so much about the gospel. And then Romans 12 comes in and says, therefore... Okay, so the context of Romans 12, what we're looking at today is our response to the gospel. 
So because of what Christ did, because of the wonderful gift and sacrifice, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, right, the sacrifice of Christ, God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So that's a pivot point, okay? In light of what Jesus has done, we are called to be living sacrifices, Okay, now I want to look at question six from last week, from the session. Question six said this, what might hold you back from following Jesus at this point? And are you willing to let go of these things if necessary? Well, look at verse two. What might be holding us back? Look at verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He's saying, don't be like everyone else. You know, we kids especially like to fit in, right? And you know what? I think big kids, adults, like to fit in too, if we're honest. Okay? But sometimes we have to stop being like everyone else. We have to stop being conformed. Conform. In one translation that says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Okay? So as we conform, as we try to be like everyone else, you know, that might be one of the things that we need to let go of. Okay? In fact, if you did the reading this week or you listened to it online, you remember he quoted a section where anyone, when fully trained, will be like their master. Jesus said that. And so, as we're fully trained, as we follow Christ, we should be getting conformed to the likeness of Christ, rather than the likeness of everyone else. And that is a process. It takes time. And so, um, you know, in terms of what's holding us back, you know, we might say, all right, well, may maybe I'm trying to be a little bit too much like everyone else. Okay, well, if God tells us to do something, he also provides the how and the means to do it. And he says, how can this happen? How can you stop being conformed to the pattern of this world? Well, he says it right there in verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you see, transformation comes through a renewed mind. That is why it is so important that we understand the scriptures, because that is how our minds get renewed. Now, how many of you have ever read something in the Bible you're like, I got to be honest, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Every hand should go up. If it isn't, come trade places with me because my hand is up, okay? There's some stuff in Scripture that just, I look at it and I go, well, I know God inspired it, and I know it's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction so that I can be fully equipped for every good work, but I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how, how this works or how this applies or what it means, especially some of the prophecy verses, you know, like, did that happen already, or is it yet to come, or is it, did it happen, and then there's also a future fulfillment of it, you know? But listen, that's cool, but I think some people get so hung up, 
on those things, and then they just gloss over the very understandable sections of Scripture that tell us, here's what we should do. And quite frankly, there's some churches that all you hear about is how things are going to happen in the end times, and they're living like the devil right now, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, I'm not saying it's unimportant to know things. No, we, we are to look at it, but the clear, plain, revealed things of Scripture, I believe we are responsible as believers to obey. So with that, here's the way I think about it. Here's the the summary statement of this. Transformed people help transform others. Transformed people help transform others. You see, what follows in Romans 12 after this pivot verse is some great instruction on how this transformation takes place and how it affects relationships with others. Okay? Question four from Multiply Movement. This is a great one. And I'll be honest, this one challenged me a lot when I was thinking about it. How would you say that your love for God is shown in your actions? Ouch. How would you say that your love for God is shown in your actions? Let's skip down to Romans 12, verse 9. And I think we're going to see some things that flow right out of this. Verse 9 says, and now I'm in the ESV, which you have, let love be genuine, real, Not fake, meaningful, demonstrated. Let love be genuine. Doesn't that tie right into that question four? How would you say that your love for God is shown in actions? And I think this is kind of an introductory clause to the list that follows in the next nine verses of how love can be genuine. Okay, how do we do it? Well, first of all, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You know, Jesus hates evil. He doesn't hate evil people, but he hates evil. And he cannot tolerate evilness. And I think sometimes we become a little too enamored. Remember, what did we have at the beginning? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Okay? Listen. You can love someone who is practicing evil and not love the evil things they do. That is so key. We need to love people who are doing things that are wrong, but we do not have to approve of the evil things that they do. There's a term today called tolerance, right? Tolerance used to mean, oh, I can, I can deal with that. I can tolerate you doing that. But now what does tolerance mean? I have to embrace it, and I have to be like, yeah, let's go, you know, with that, okay? I can love the person who is doing evil, okay? I can care for them in Jesus' name, but I don't have to support what they are doing. Do you see the difference? That, that's a difference. And it's not always clear sometimes because you're like, okay, well, I got to figure out I don't want to offend them and alienate them so that I can't pour into their life. But 
I want to show the love of Christ to them anyway. And this is where the, the verse that comes right after the Great Commission is so key. Because Jesus promised to be with us always. So this is one of those things where we need to ask God and say, God, I understand we're supposed to love. And I understand we're, not, we're supposed to abhor evil. Help me do it in this situation. I'm not sure how this works out. And listen, I cannot look at a group of people like this and say, this is how you do it. Because I think it's going to be very different in each one of your situations. But if God commands us to do something, he will provide the wisdom and the insight on how we balance this. The balance between loving someone who's created in Christ's image, but who has sinned and who hasn't sinned, all have sinned except Jesus. And how can I love this person without embracing the evil that they are doing? Hold fast to what is good. We need to remind ourselves of the things that are good. In the grief share group this past week, something that was said that was awesome was make a list of the blessings that God has done in your life and review the blessings. That is a very practical way to hold fast to what is good. Because so often, I think we tend to forget about how God has blessed us, don't we? You know, we might remember it, but you know what? Make a list. And when you're feeling down, when you're feeling alone, review the list. That's a great way that we can do that. Okay? Love one another with brotherly affection. There we go. Outdo, I'm in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Doesn't that sound like a contest or a challenge to you? Outdo, you know, guys do this, right? (laughs) He did that. I can do it better. Right? Guys, you agreeing with me? It's just the way we're wired. It's like, oh, he can jump that high? I can jump higher. He can run this way? I can run faster. He can play this? I can play this better. Okay? That's what it's saying. Outdo one another in showing honor. And quite frankly, today, we live in a society where I'm, I'm so glad that there are some pockets of society that, that are honoring those people who deserve honor in this life. But quite frankly, we live in a society that is very disrespectful. And I think this is a great reminder here. You want to love people? Honor them. Honor them. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay. There was a, a meme the other day of people who were in the animals. They were all sloths. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, listen, you've been in the DMV. You know what I'm talking about. It just takes forever. And he's saying, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be slow to get excited about God. You know, that's something that we should be like, wow, God's awesome. Not like, well, yeah, I guess I'll get around. No, come on. We should be like, Wow. You know, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. And how do you do that? By serving the Lord. As we serve the Lord, that's where the slothfulness can start to shake away. And we can start to be fervent in the spirit. Okay? 
Um, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Okay, that's, listen, we're all going to go through tribulation. Okay, but we need to be patient in it. And we, when we're going through it, constantly pray. Pray without ceasing, rejoice in hope. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, one of the best things about this time is I think, as in general, people become more giving at Christmas time. You know, just even packing up those little shoe boxes. And, uh, you know, there's special appeals that come out in giving. That is good, probably more for the one who gives than the one who receives. I mean, the one who receives is certainly blessed, but I know when I give, it changes me. And so it's so important that each one of us be givers, that we be generous, especially at this holiday season, but all times, okay? And show hospitality. Some of you are like, I don't know how I could introduce someone to Jesus. Got an easy answer. Can you take somebody out for a cup of coffee? Sure you can. Some of you can even have them over at your apartment or your house. Some of you can agree to meet somewhere else if you can't do it there. You know, show hospitality. That is the best way to have an open door to bringing someone else to a point where they might consider the claims of Christ on their life. I love getting together with people. That's one of my favorite things to do, you know. So, you know, if you ever want to get together, just mention it. You know, it's not like you're pulling my arm to do it, you know, twisting it. I'm like, I'm ready to go. And, you know, you can do that with others as well, too. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do I need to say anything more about that? I think that's pretty straightforward. Okay, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's saying just be real. If somebody's happy, share their joy. If they're in sorrow, come alongside them. Don't be like, you know, trying to, you know, make jokes to scare them out of it. No, just be real with them. Be sensitive to the circumstances and the situation at the time. Verse uh, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Wouldn't you say Jesus really modeled that one perfectly? I would have to say that. You know, Jesus went to the people who were shunned by everyone else. He, hung, he was accused of hanging out with the drunks and the sinners and the tax collectors. And the tax collectors were extortionists in those days. Okay? He was hanging out with the people that other people didn't like. He was hanging around healing lepers. Nobody, nobody would go near a leper. And that is, Jesus modeled that perfectly. And that would be it. And then verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You know, we need to be forgiving. If someone has hurt us, rather than like trying to figure out how do we get back at them, we need to figure out, you know, Jesus forgave me, so that allows me to forgive them. And then verse 18, this is one of my 
favorite verses in counseling. Some of you who have talked with me, you've probably heard it from me. And if you haven't, you'll hear it right now. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Okay, if possible. Doesn't mean it's always going to be, but if it's possible, and as far as it depends on you. There are things, if the Christmas tree has hurt me, okay, and I have no idea how that would happen, but, you know, and I put it up, it was, you know, it didn't prick me or anything. But if the Christmas tree has hurt me, okay, and I'm trying to get along with the Christmas tree, I don't know where this is going, by the way. (laughs) I just don't want to single out anyone in the room, so the Christmas tree. So here I am, and, you know, it might be possible that the Christmas tree just doesn't want to get along with me. And I might be doing everything that I can, but you know what? That Christmas tree, just stubborn. Doesn't want to change. Wants to keep hurting me. So I'm like, okay, I've done everything possible in my life. And that gets me off the hook. That's freeing. It's not like, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how lovely are thy branches. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's like, okay, we can agree. This isn't going to, you know, we're not going to be best friends. You probably won't have any presents for me underneath, you know, but that's okay. You see what I'm saying? It's not always possible to get along with others. But we're only called, if possible, so long as it depends upon you, live peaceably with others. Now, some of us might be real quick to say, good, I can't live with that person, so that's great. I would say, did you do everything that was possible first. Because there might be some things that are possible, but you just don't want to do. And so, if possible, so long as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. So do you see, those are just some examples. I didn't count them, but there's a bunch of them right there of how we can love another person. So our question that we said How would you say that your love for God is shown in your actions? There's a whole list that you can use when you go home to evaluate it. So listen, do you think any of these traits that we just spoke of here would help you to get along better with others? And if so, which one? Think about the changes that you may need to make in your lifestyle and know that God will change or transform you so that you can share your life with another person, which ultimately may point them to Jesus. Because transformed people help transform others. Now, I did say I would take time for questions. If any of you who did read the stuff last week and have questions, nobody emailed me anything. So I will take time for you over coffee in the next room. If you have any questions about it, come up to me and I'll be happy to answer those questions. But listen, I want to talk about, and let's wrap this up. How do you make this work? And put up that website again, Multiply Movement. There is a section there called Introduction to the Material Using the Multiply Material. Okay? And I want you to go there and start reading that section. And basically, I'll give you the summary of how they say to do it. What they say is, you prepare ahead of time on your own. You read or listen to the material. 
You watch the video, the video is for you, and then when you meet with someone, you go right to the questions, okay? And, and that can work, and I'm sure it will work. If that's your style to do it, go. But, you know, I know there are many different, uh, different kinds of people in here, so I want to suggest a couple of modifications. Something you might do when you meet with them, especially if you, you know, because you might be dealing with someone who will prepare ahead of time, or you might be dealing with someone where, you know, that time you've got together with them, that's all you're going to do. So what you might do is you might say, okay, let's meet and let's listen together. So you go to the part, the link that says listen, and you click on listen, and you start listening. Uh, the first one, I think it's like 17 minutes long, and you listen up until you get to the first question, and then you can hit pause, and then you can say, okay, he just asked that question, and you have your notes. Let's say, you know, what about that? You know, and you discuss it, and so that's one way that you could do it, okay? Um, or, you know, you might want to say, you know, if you're dealing with someone who's a reader, you might say, well, let's both read this and don't worry about the questions right now if you want to think about it. But then when we get together, we'll go over the questions together. Okay. Um, the, the key is adapt. Be adaptable to what works for you and the person you're trying to disciple. Another thing, some of you who looked ahead says, there's 24 lessons in there. I don't have time to do 24 lessons, you know, and if that's you, I get it. So you know what? There's a nice breakdown in it, okay? I would say, if I were going to do this with someone, I'd say, let's meet once and do the first thing. And if it's helpful, then we'll continue on to the next one. So someone's only committing to a trial of one week. And then it breaks up nice because it breaks up into groups. The 24 breaks up into nine, nine, and three. The first nine starts off the first three are what is a disciple and how do you become a disciple? How do you disciple someone else? And then it goes right into how do you read and understand the Bible? And if you get through just even nine sessions with someone else, that will be awesome because that will help them to understand how to read the Bible. That is a great step there. Okay, And then if you want to go on, the next nine is the Old Testament. It talks about the Old Testament and foreshadowing to Christ. And then the last six are the New Testament. So you could break it up into bite-sized pieces like that. Don't feel like I got to commit to all 24. The other thing is some of you are like, I just can't do this every week. Guess what? Do it every other week. You could do that. And you know why that's cool? Because... If you think about it, if you're meeting every week with someone and then they're like, oh, I've got my friend George over here. I'd like to take George through it. Well, you know what? If you're meeting every other week, then those in-between weeks, your friend can meet with George and he can take George through it and that will free him up and then maybe George will meet with somebody else. You see how that works? So it's not like you have to make a week-by-week commitment. You could do it every other week, okay? And so you're actually giving them some time to disciple someone else. So let's close by this. This is what I want you to do. I want you to make a plan this week to start discipling somebody else. And make it whatever works for you. This is a tool. This isn't the only way to do it, but I think it's a great tool. And if you don't have another tool, I'd suggest you start using this. Well, listen, we began this study with me asking the question, what could we as a church study that if everyone were to grab a hold of and make it part of our life, what could we do that would make the greatest impact in spreading the kingdom of God? 
What would make the biggest difference? And the answer, which I said then and I still believe it, and now I hope I've given you some tools, the answer is disciples making disciples who make other disciples. And you know what? We haven't fully grasped this until we begin to invest in the life of another and start to make a disciple of Jesus. Transformed people help transformed others. So I close by saying this. Who is ready to try this, knowing that Jesus promised to be with us always and help? And if you're ready, let's do this.